life and ministry. And so if you would, would you give it up for Pastor Ken Spicer as he comes up this morning? Good morning. Man, I, that's quite a welcome. Quite an introduction. It's good to be back at Lake Church. Your pastors, pastors Greg and Karen, have been friends of ours for a long time. And this has always been an amazing place to minister, but also a place that we've always felt ministered to. And, um, you know, nothing has changed. We had a good time with the men out there. Tell you what, I would gain some weight if I lived around here with these guys. <laughs> that food was, uh, was of an excellent nature, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, that song, He is Good. You know, it's odd to say this in, in this setting, and I know it's not true here, but that very concept has gotten me in a lot of trouble. Because God's good. And He is good all the time, and He's good to everybody. And uh, that doesn't mean that he approves of everybody. But, but in my opinion, the only thing that changed me was to know that he was good and in love with me even when I wasn't. And I feel like that, that the world needs to know that God loves them. And I'm talking about the most reprobate people you can imagine because if they never know that his love is real... And that he's just some religious, stodgy, stick in the mud? Well, they're going to go to hell. And um, so I love that song. I love that concept. He is good. And he's never going to let you go. Jesus said nobody could take you out of the Father's hand. This is not my message. I'll get to it in a minute. But I got to meddle just for a minute. I got to make Pastor Greg uncomfortable if I, if I can. But nobody can take you out of your father's hand. Is that right? You ready for this one? Not even you. My son, my youngest son is a pastor. He's pastoring our church over in Arkansas right now. In fact, they're same time, 10 o'clock. That's God's perfect time for church, you know. And when he was little, I can't remember, he probably did it more than once, but one time he was going to run away. And we thought it was just the cutest thing we'd ever seen. Because he wasn't going nowhere. Not for long. Not without us watching over him. Not without us knowing that he'll be back pretty quick. You see, that's how we get sometimes, even if we're confused, even if we think we're in control, even if we think we're making decisions, God's like, isn't that cute? He's so cute. Even when we're like, you know what, I'm done with this mess. God's like, hey, fellas, look at this. Isn't she so cute? Just... Nobody can take you out of his hand. He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. And here's my last meddling in the introduction. Nothing can separate you from his love. Are you ready for this one? Don't, don't throw nothing at me now, unless it's money. Sunday morning, you can throw money if you want to. Not even your sin. Well, brother, you need to get back to God. You've been a knucklehead. God ain't gone nowhere. Romans 8, 38 and 39, I know you're a well-taught bunch, so that's your verse. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, even our sin could ever separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, that's the power to live free from sin. It's not, hey, get out of your sin and then get on with the program. No, the program is understand what 
he's done for you, how, understand how much he loves you, and sin won't have a hold on you. That's the last place I want to go back to. And we've somehow thought that if we don't scare people with hell, I've taken a bath doing this before, so I'm going to try not to. Anyway, enough said, God is good. Uh, my wife is in California, the lovely Miss Eve. She wishes she could be here. We had grandchildren eight and nine just about six weeks ago. One in Arkansas, one in California. So this is her third trip to California since July. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do, you know? It's like, all right, babe, frequent flyer, that thing, let's go. She'll be in tomorrow night. Um, and God is good. So we've got eight boys and a girl. And so, the, so it's four boys, the girl, and four boys. She's four. And she thinks I'm the greatest thing ever. <laughs> she knows where she's at in the pecking order. You know what I mean? And uh, so anyway, our life is, is blessed. Well, today I'm going to talk about something that, you know, it's a little intimidating, quite frankly, because in a house like this, you already know this and you already believe this. But I'm of the opinion that you can... You can never exhaust the understanding of this. You can only maybe hone and sharpen because it's something that we're all faced with all the time. And that is the idea of healing. Uh, my father-in-law who, you know, was basically my only father. I had a dad, but I didn't have a father. And, uh, and so when I got married, my wife's father became my father. And I worked for him for a season, and then, you know, we went to Rama and we started our church, and, and then he worked for me for a season. Not, I, he never got paid, but, but he, <laughs> I barely got paid either, so I felt like we were even, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was our CFO for, you know, for, for a long, long time, for forever, till last year, and he passed away just this week, last year. And, um, and, and, you know, my father died, my dad died at 62. Thank God he got saved, you know. And it's easy, with what I'm going to talk about today, it's easy for somebody to say, well, see there, God gave him that disease to get his attention. Well, that's just not biblical, is it? That's not what the Word says. The Word says Scripture is profitable for instruction and correction and all that stuff, edification. So God doesn't need to give you cancer. In fact, I don't believe God can give you what he don't have. He ain't got no cancer. He ain't got no sickness. Now, will he co-opt some stuff? Absolutely. He'll turn what the, what the enemy means for evil. So my father got diagnosed. My dad got, my earthly father got diagnosed. Um, and, of course, you know how it goes. It's uncurable. It's untreatable, blah, blah, blah. So we jumped on a plane, went to Mississippi where he lived, and this man, you know, never graduated high school. He was a, uh, he, he was a hard worker, worked uh, as a truck driver and, and provided, you know. He just had a lot of those issues that come with a lifestyle like that. Somebody not serving God, of course. And, um, man, we got, we got there, got him born again, got him filled with the Holy Ghost. He started reading books uh, on healing Christ the healer. I mean, he couldn't get enough. And what they said would kill him in six months uh, he lasted four years, and it was a good four years. The quality of life was good all the way to the end. Uh, I went back every three months, and, and God redeemed that, but God didn't do that. God would have rather that he just lived that way his whole life. But it would, I see, I understand how people that don't understand Scripture would say, okay, yeah, because something good came out of it, then God must have authored that. And listen, here's the deal. And I'm a veteran. My, I have a son who's a veteran. Many of you are. We go to war, we lose people. This is a war. It takes vigilance all the time, not because we're afraid and not because the devil's not defeated, but because he's a liar and he's crafty and he can, he can do some things in this realm. And, um, and so 
we have suffered loss, you know, like everybody does. So on the outset here, I want to say you are not allowed to be condemned today. I won't allow it. We'll stay here till you're not. No condemnation, because as soon as you start talking about this stuff, people tend to think, oh, well, you know, I, I had this happen, and this happened to somebody, and this happened to me, and, and so I must not be doing something right. This isn't about you. This is about the truth of what God already did. It's not conditional. It's free. And, uh, and listen, just because something happens doesn't mean... It's not God. God's not doing those things, but it also doesn't mean that you're in some kind of sin. It just means we live in a world that's full of garbage. And sometimes we just have to deal with some of that. So again, no condemnation. I've heard that somewhere before. So I want to make a a statement here, and then I want to make an assertion, and then I want to go about proving this assertion for you today, okay? Let's, as we do this, let's, let's have a word of prayer, and let's just... Believe God. And if you came in here with a heaviness today or, or a, a disconcerting feeling about something you're going through, well, we'll pray after this is over. I believe that, that you know, I was thinking this week about Ezekiel. And by the way, we had a great time out at the camp. Man, that was, that was all right. I, you know, I, I live on a mile-long dirt road. My wife was saying, maybe we should... Let's just pave the driveway. I said, babe, you live at the end of a dirt road. <laughs> Your car's going to be dirty anyway. <laughs> we could buy cows with that money, you know, <laughs> whatever. But I washed my truck off, you know, nice and shiny to, to, to impress the folks in Oklahoma. And, uh, and it's no longer clean because of the camp if you've been out there. But we had a, we had a great time. But I was thinking about Ezekiel, how, how God... The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and took him out into this valley full of bones. And in my heart, I believe that that's such an accurate picture of the world in which we live today. God has placed us in a place in the midst of death and destruction and desolation to rise up and speak life and light into it. It's his words, not ours. It's his spirit, not ours. But he wants us to just cooperate. So I want you to know that you're not done. I don't care how young or old you are. I didn't always look like this. But I ain't done either. And, and, and I think that we need to get accustomed to this idea that God wants to use us and move through us all the time. You are on assignment every day. So, Father, we thank you today for your goodness. We thank you for this great church, its wonderful pastors, and the people that have made it what it is, a sanctuary, Lord, for people to come and find respite and encouragement. Spirit of God, we thank you today for your goodness, that you amplify the word to us today, that you you take of what is Jesus and you declare it to us in our hearts and our minds, and Lord, let the power of this revelation rests anew on us in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, so my, my, my comment here is that the gospel and healing are mutually inclusive. That means one can't exist without the other one. So the truth of the gospel and healing are mutually inclusive. So here's my assertion now. My assertion then is that healing is as much a component, if I could use that word, of redemption as is salvation. Or I, I could say it like this, and this is probably a little clearer way. You, got, you have to excuse me. I was, I was raised on the mission field, so I'm not as smart as a lot of you guys. So I'll have to make sure I get this clear. I, I was... Raised in Mississippi, so that's kind of, that's like the mission field, believe me. I think, I think they're still holding down that number 50, you know, education mark there. <laughs> It'd be nice if there were some more states. Maybe they could notch up some, but. But let me say it this way. Healing is 
as much a part of redemption or salvation as forgiveness. And, you know, I'm not a nitpicker and I'm not religious and I'm not a legalist and I don't think Jesus is either. And so don't take this the wrong way if, if you've done this and we all have, but I don't necessarily think that we need to pray, Lord, heal me. I think the prayer should be, Lord, thank you for healing me. Lord, thank you for healing me. I'm going to go out on a ragged edge here, and I don't want to irritate anybody, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. But just follow me in that logic for a moment. When it comes to repenting in order to be forgiven, this is me now. I believe it's the same prayer. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. I think he's a good father, and I think the forgiveness happened, just like the healing happened when he walked out of the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. I think that was all done. Well, you're saying that we don't have to repent to be... I'm saying nothing you do is going to get you to heaven. I'm saying everything that Jesus did is getting you to heaven. So to thank him for it, Listen, let me give you an example. In two months, I will have been married 30 years. And that's an impressive thing. If you think about it, you'd have to meet my wife. But, <laughs> but I didn't always look like this, like I said. When she met me, I was in the Marines. I was on my way to ranger school. I was a young, strapping lad. And she's hung around. Through the transition, <laughs> the transformation, if you will. So it's a big deal to me. And do you know that I still sometimes do things that hurt her? And do you know that I still apologize and ask for forgiveness? But do you know that I know, that she knows that I know, that I'm already forgiven? That's worth the price of admission right there. You see, I don't want you to think, oh my God, I, I, Lord, forgive me of all my sin before this plane takes off because I don't want to die with unrepentant sin. I'm done. I'm, not, I'm done with that. Uh, you know, you got to know when to call it because I, I want to come back someday. All right, so let's go to the Word. Here's Psalm 103, verse 1 through 5. I'm reading all five just for context. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's that thank you, Lord, prayer. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease. I'm going to come back to that. Who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Well, I guess I just got to do this because, you know, I brought it on myself. I ate a lot of bacon in my early days. And, and this is just what you get. He redeems you from destruction. Stop walking around guilty that you did something. What didn't you do? Name me one thing you didn't do to yourself. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So let's go back to verse 3 now. Who forgives all your iniquity... Who heals all your disease. It's one verse. Now, we're in a town of 700 over in central Arkansas. There's 15 denominational churches in that town. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> and there's people that want to take half that verse and leave the other half. You can't do that. You either take it or leave it, right? All of it. Okay? So, forgiveness now and healing 
are equals in redemption. They're two components of the same promise, of the same finished work. You understand Jesus isn't going back to the cross every time you ask for forgiveness. You understand he's not going back to the cross every time you get the sniffles. It's done. Because he's good. He's that good. He's too good. And too much. That's what Jesus said. The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundant. The word abundant means excessive in quantity and superior in quality. He's too good and too much. We, that, that's the one we need to hone. Because he's good. And he's always good, even when we're not. Let's go to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. I think it's Hosea 4, 6. I could be wrong on that address that says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. If we don't know God's good, we'll spend all of our time trying to get ourselves good and forget that we're here to minister to a valley of dry bones. Hello, somebody. You know, there's a time if, the, if you hit turbulence that the mask will drop and you're supposed to put the mask on yourself and then fiddle with your kid if you can, you know, wrangle them in and put the mask on them. But I think that, that we've seen a generation of people that have been trying to get their own mask on and reposition the mask and make sure the mask is on and get it just right that we're forgetting that there's somebody dying right next to us. We need to move on and realize God loves you completely. If you're born again, you're forgiven forever. Was that a license for sin? I happen to know because I had somebody at the back door. There's some unlicensed sinners in here. So you don't need no license to sin. And grace doesn't cause sin. The law does. The strength of sin is the not grace. So don't talk about a license to sin. It's a revelation of the goodness of our Father that keeps us out of sin. The first of the year is right around the corner, and some of you may make New Year's resolutions, and in that resolution, maybe you're going to... Now, this isn't necessarily for this crowd. This is the church down the road, but maybe some of those people are going to want to quit drinking and quit cussing and quit smoking in the new year. And the new year rolls around, and all they're trying to do is not cuss and drink and smoke. But because they're thinking about cussing, drinking, and smoking all the time, even though they're trying not to, all they're doing is cussing and drinking and smoking. Because as a man thinks in his heart, what's on your mind is what's going to manifest in your life. We need to have a Jesus consciousness. We need to have a righteousness consciousness. And when we do, we will live righteously. We will live in accordance to who we already are in him. You can't try enough to be good. Enough. So we rest in our identity in Him. It doesn't mean you don't apologize or even ask for forgiveness. It's kind of a rhetorical exercise. But, but that affection doesn't, you don't want to, you know, not that He's disappointed because He's got a different perspective. You're like the little four-year-old. But you don't want to back off from that place you feel challenged when you do you feel upset you want him to know that you know that don't take that for granted let's go on now to verse 4 of that same passage by which the knowledge of him have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That corruption means even decay. And, and you know, sickness is just kind of the first phase of death, if you know what I mean. And I'm not saying that we're not supposed to get wrinkles and gray hair. I mean, I, sometimes I ask the Lord, Lord, I'm so young. 
why is my beard, you know, I look like I'm 80. <laughs> Not that I got anything against 80-year-olds, but I just ain't there yet. And uh, so I got this Moses complex going on. And uh, I, want, I do want to shave, but my lovely bride is like, yeah, you're, you need to lose some more weight before you shave. <laughs> so, hey, you know, and I think that's just her loving way of telling me that she likes my beard, you know. <laughs> Thank God we can be honest with one another, right? Well, half of that equation can be honest. Come on now. I can say that because she's not here. Okay, so now, let's move on. So here's the first thing that I'm going to bring into this argument. That sickness entered the world through sin. Okay? Now, we understand that in the garden there was no sickness because there was no sin. And Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, because we sinned. With Adam. Now, a fun study to do is get over into Romans 5, thereabouts, verse 12 onward, and Paul starts contrasting Adam with the second Adam, which we know is Jesus. Because we all, you know, that's how I got saved. I didn't want to go to hell, and I, you know, I think there was a flannel graph involved. I still have images of that and there's the smell of mold I think probably because nobody knew what black mold was in those days but the basement of my grandmama's church probably absolutely had some and it just has this smell but I realized that what Adam did was so egregious that it affected me in my little life and so I I wanted Jesus you know so thank God for some of those places that that at least you know know that much um, but then here comes one, you know, and so we understood that concept. But then Paul points out that Jesus is much more. What he did is much more. But for so long, we've made what Jesus did much less. I mean, you absolutely knew that no matter what you did, you could not get to heaven on your own effort. You knew that because somebody told you that. And it made sense. It's like what Adam did affected the whole world. And you could build hospitals. You could clothe people. You could feed people. But whatever you did, if you didn't have a Savior, you were going to hell. And then the second Adam comes. And Paul said what he did is much more than that. That means, let's just, let's just overlay those two ideas there. That means that once you're in Christ... Nothing you can do can change that. Because he did it much more than what Adam did, because you couldn't change that either until you got a Savior. Well, now you have a Savior. You can't undo that. Because you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to him. You're like, hey, I'm thinking I'm just going to take myself and get on out of here. The Lord's like, you don't own nothing. I own that self. And I play for keeps, Jack. So, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as one man, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So we sinned in Adam, and we understand that. And that's how uh, sickness came into the world. So the second thing that I want you to see here is a clear connection between salvation and healing. Okay? So let's, let's build this idea. Matthew 9.35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Somebody say every. Does anybody rationally, logically really think that we have a diminishing of the power of the gospel on this side of the resurrection? See, Jesus, you know, and, I, and I, I, love, I love reading the things Jesus says. Because typically Jesus is either, depending on who he's talking to, he's preaching hyper law or hyper grace. And so here he's talking about, well, Matthew's talking about his action. So he goes around 
Now remember, he's essentially fulfilling still the Old Testament here in, during his life. Before the resurrection, that's when the new covenant begins, right? So he's, he's technically now an Old Testament prophet walking under the power of the Spirit of God, and he's healing every disease. He's healing every sickness. Well, how much more after the resurrection? I mean, he's, he empowers, we'll read some verses here in a minute. He empowers his apostles, but they're walking under a delegated power. This side of the, the, the tomb, that's our power in him. We have the anointing in our relationship with him. They were walking under a, a, a type of that. And I don't know what the limitations might be, but it wasn't what you and I have. So how do people think, well, you know, that was them. Them what? That's New Testament. People say, well, now this is a big one where I live, probably not here. But you'll run into these people at work. Well, are you saying it's my fault? Well, I don't know. Was it your fault that you didn't get on base and t-ball? Or was it the coach's fault? I mean, does it make people in America feel better to think God's killing them than just they don't understand something? <laughs> or they got caught in a trick bag somehow? Or they were lied to and deceived by people they trusted or whatever? Hello, somebody. Think about that. God's not the author of killing folks. Again, see, remember what I told you before? No what? Condemnation. No condemnation. I won't allow you to be condemned over this. Here's, here's the shocker. None of us are perfect. You probably knew that before you came in here, but now you know for sure because the preacher said it. <laughs> so, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Again, I think that there's things we carry, we feel guilty about, we feel complicit, we feel responsible. And so the enemy's there to, you know, to speak that lie to us. Hey, you deserve this. This is just what you get. Well, listen to me. And listen closely, and I shared this with the guys a couple nights ago. You don't get what you deserve. You get what Jesus deserves. You get everything Jesus deserves because when he died, you died. And you go, yeah, of course. He died for me. No, that's not what I said. He died as you. And when he died, you died. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor Ken. Well, Galatians 2.20. I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. This is word, y'all. Word. <laughs> so, it's not God's fault. He's doing everything he can to get us up to speed. And, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hazard of the job of being a human right now. There's the lie of the enemy everywhere. From early on in this country, and I'm sure every country, but this is our context, we're taught to have faith in a few things. We're taught to have faith in sickness. We're taught to have faith in disease. And we're taught to have faith in doctors. And all three of them will kill you faster than COVID. You know, and I'm not being ugly. I'm just being honest. So let me make another disclaimer. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. You know, a few years ago, I had an issue for years, a couple of years, maybe closer to three years, I had an issue. And 
I was just thanking God for somebody that knew how to do the surgery that I needed done. Again, you will never catch me being religious or legalistic. But you will catch me being led by the Spirit. So I'm saying if you go to the doctor, make sure you're praying. Because about a million people a year in America go to heaven or wherever they go because they go to the doctor. Because remember, they're practicing. And they're doing their best. I have a great, one of my best friends is a physician in California. And they mean well, and they want to do things well, I think. You know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. My, my uh, doctor tried to get me on a certain medication for years, and I'm just like, listen, dude, I appreciate you, and I like you, and I trust you to some degree because that's why I come here. And I knew, I'd known him for a long time. This is not my, my buddy. I said, but I'm not trying to pay your next Mercedes payment, and I ain't trying to send your kid through medical school, and I ain't taking that medication you're trying to give me. Because it'll kill me quicker than the thing you think you're treating. And he goes, oh, well, there's a lot of benefits to this thing. And I said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not having it. Forget it. Now, 20 years later, thank God somebody listened to the Holy Ghost. Because now we know the thing he was trying to treat on me is actually good for you. Come on, somebody. <laughs> All right, so here we go, Matthew 10, 1. I haven't forgotten what I'm doing up here. It just looks like it. (laughs) And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So again, we see a pattern here where the gospel is concerned. There's always this eradication of sickness and disease, always. Except that one time where Jesus said, you know, y'all are some awesome people. You got a lot of potential. I'm just going to let y'all stay sick because there's a village up the road. They're going to get so much enjoyment out of watching you die slowly and agonizingly. And, and you're going to learn a lot too. Remember that? You remember what verse that was? It's not in there, is it? Because everywhere he went, everywhere he went except Nazareth where he was from, Pastor Greg's the only guy I know that can minister effectively in his hometown. And he's done a great job and probably never had any issues. (laughs) They were amazed in Nazareth at his wisdom. They were in awe of it. Until somebody said, hey, I remember that kid. And then by the time he was done, they were trying to throw him off the cliff. He never said that, and he never did that, because the heart of the Father is always to heal and deliver and set free. And it always accompanies the gospel. It's not, I'm saved, now I need to get healed. It's, I believe Jesus for my salvation, and now I'm believing him for my healing. Now, why is it that healing doesn't come as easy as salvation? Well, first of all, we we can see it. And second of all, there has been a systematic assault on our mentality to have faith in sickness. How many people do you know, don't raise your hands, but how many people have you known in your lifetime where the doctor said, you've got six months to live? And I'm telling you, boom, they die right on cue. Do you know why that is? Because they've been taught to have faith in the words of the doctor. You could say, well, the doctors just know how those things go. Well, that's part of it, I'm sure. But we believe it so much that we lay down and die. Amen or oh me? All right. Matthew 10, 7 through 8. I'm not quite done yet. He says to his followers, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. The kingdom has come, by the way. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So now he's commissioning them to go do some pretty amazingly powerful things. You know, it's so, and this is so foreign to the Christian church in America, mostly. 
A few years ago, there was a, a, a baby that was born up in Northern California, and I think still born or died just shortly after birth. And so it was the baby of a prominent worship leader and her husband went to a prominent church in Northern California, and they asked the doctors not to embalm the baby for a few days. They wanted, they're believing for a resurrection. Do you know that most of the Christian population in America thought that was so weird? Ooh, that's just weird. Let me read the verse again. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And this is again, not to belabor this point, but I think it's worth repeating. This is before the resurrection. Is there a reduction in power since Jesus walked out of that tomb? And I suggest, no, there's not. There is probably very likely an increase in power. There is uh, certainly a proliferation of that power. And now with the Spirit of God upon us, Jesus said, you shall receive dunamis when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be a witness. How? Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. But it's so, you know, we watch Hollywood movies about demons that are all powerful. We watch Hollywood movies, grown men in tights flying around the earth fight, fighting dragons or whatever. But we cannot get our minds around a supernatural Jesus. Billions of dollars in those movies. And I think part of it is a, a revealing of some things. But here's the other part that's very real. A dumbing down of some things to make you think, ah, I had a kid tell me one time, well, Jesus is just a, 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 a galactic, uh, um, what's it, a zombie. He's just a galactic zombie. I said, son, let me tell you something about the resurrected Christ. He preceded all the zombie movies. Hello, somebody. We're in the midst of the valley of dry bones. And you are the answer. A good God with a good message, with a good plan. So then, Jesus goes to Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law. Same evening, Matthew 8, 16 and 17, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmity and bore our sickness. Now, this is a direct quotation from Isaiah 53 and also 1 Peter 2.24. And so you see that there's a prophetic nature to all of this. But again, the gospel is always accompanied by this type of freedom and liberty. Not just spiritually, but physically. Mentally, they were casting out demons and people not in their right mind and all of that. And so don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't, don't ever get condemned that you've been dealing with this thing for too long. Stand in the promise. Romans 2.11 tells us that God's no respecter of persons. Peter said the same thing in Acts 10.34. He opened his mouth in Cornelius' home and said, In truth, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. We need to know that. People say, well, that was the apostles, you know. They're special. They're as dumb as we are. Maybe dumber. You know, the beautiful thing about us is God's not putting us on blast telling everybody how dumb we are. It's like, are you kidding me? How long have we? Do I have to go over this again? That's not Bible college on Sunday night, by the way. Or whenever you do your Bible, gosh. It's like, do I have to teach that again? No. Pastor Greg is not like that. He would gleefully teach it again. But do you know what I'm saying? If those guys needed it, look, I didn't know how grumpy Jesus might be when he got up in the morning. I didn't know. I don't know what he liked to eat at night. There's some things the scripture doesn't tell us, but all those guys did. It makes no sense to me that all this power and stuff would pass on with them. In fact, it, it didn't, because Paul brought that 
revelation as well. And if they needed the power of the Spirit of God, so do we. And God has not changed anything. These things are for the church, for us to walk in these things in a multiplied, exponential way. The world needs to know that there's a God in heaven that cares about them and is relevant to their current situation. So the book of Isaiah, let's talk about that real quick. Quoted nine times in Matthew, six times in Mark, six times in Luke, and a few times in John. The most prolific messianic prophet to ever write, and he wrote centuries before Jesus was born, 700 years at least. All of it true, word for word. Okay, so I think you understand that there's a connection between salvation and healing. Let's go to my third and final point. It matters what we believe. There's a connection between faith and healing. And it matters what you believe. And here's a, here's a, a, a benefit here. Here's an extra that you don't have to pay for. It matters for other people what you believe. In Matthew 8, 5 through 13, the centurion's servant was healed because of the centurion's faith. Matthew 8, 13, Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed... So let it be done for you, and his servant was healed from that same hour. Unfortunately, sometimes we get it the way we believe it. Well, you know, well, you know, the doctor said, well, I knew somebody that had this. You know, Billy Graham died. <laughs> yeah, so did Jesus. <laughs> and he came, by, he came back, and he gave you something. <laughs> You know how it is, though. We just, we connect to things. It's like, well, if Billy Graham can't beat death, I certainly can't. Well, he was also 190 or whatever. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. It is believable, unfortunately, that we, that we, we limit our, ourselves to the, to the level of other people. When we should be elevating to the level of Jesus. Don't, live, don't, don't have a goal. Don't write this in your journal that, you know, in 2023, I'm going to live my best life. You'd be coming woefully short. Live Jesus' best life. That's what's available to you. In Matthew 9, the woman was healed after 12, a 12-year issue of blood. I don't know about you, but man, I can have a headache for an hour, and I'm telling God, heal me or kill me. <laughs> My wife, she, she has no, no limit for that. She thinks I'm the biggest baby. Matthew 9, 22, but Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. So establishing that this isn't your paradigm you're my daughter. There's an identity piece here that's important for you to grasp. You are a child of God, and he is a father. And not like your earthly father, he is a good God. He's a good father. The song we sang today. He's never going to turn away, and he's never going to change, and he's always going to be everything and more than you need. Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Look at if he would have said... You caught me on a good day, girl. I was down there at Lake Church. I had biscuits and gravy. I was glad my mama wasn't there. I would have slapped her right in the mouth. I slept good last night. I was at a Holiday Inn Express. Behold the anointed one. You say, I had a pastor that called himself that one time. I bet you did. You know what? If he would have said all that, it would have been true. Maybe not eating biscuits and gravy, but you know what? If he would have said, look it, I'm so amazing. Because you came to me, you're going to get what, what I have. And that's not what he said. He said, because of what you believe. So ask yourself, what is it do I believe? Because sometimes you can just hear this and know, okay, yeah, healing's for us today. But what does that really mean? 
You know, I wish that healing just every time I prayed. I've had trigger finger for four months. It's hard to do stuff as a man when your finger locks up and you've got this knot right here that hurts. And I could not make a full fist for three or four months. So I have a relative that's in the surgery business, and she said, well, why don't you just have, that's a real simple surgery. I said, I ain't having no surgery. I got nine more fingers. What, am I going to have a surgery every time one of them hurts? I'm believing God. Now, if it was something that would, you know, debilitate me where I couldn't function, maybe then I would say, okay, well, let me consider some surgery and start praying about it. But at this point, I'm like, Lord, I'll do And it's getting better. I'm getting more mobility. It still catches a little bit, but it doesn't hurt like it did. Look at Abraham, the father of our faith. It took him 25 years. Everybody's like, yeah, Father Abraham. 25 years? Oh, no. Let me get over to that pharmacy. <laughs> Give me the fast track, bro. I mean, it's, let me do it online or something. Okay. Um, Matthew 9, Jesus heals not one but two blind men. When he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done. Now, you could say, Man, you know, it just took those guys five seconds to get healed. You don't know how many years they've been out there waiting on the road. But you and I, we have that promise right now. And again, it's all, everything that we face here, you know, and I don't want to get into trouble, so I'll try not to. But the battle we face is in our mind. The, the only power the devil has against us is to deceive us. And if we believe it, then he's got us. You know, and that's it. The old, your old man already established in Galatians 2.20 is dead. But you know an old way of thinking mimics... And manifest like the old nature. Let me say that again. Because that was a good one. In Arkansas, I just say, I used to say a good one, but now I say a good one. So it's good apostrophe in. It just speeds things up. <laughs> what did I say now? It was a good one. Old thinking mimics or manifests like the old nature. That's why Paul was adamant about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because that's the battlefield now. Okay. We're almost done. Put your tray tables up. Seats in an upright position. There will be some turbulence, so don't take off your seatbelt. All right, so... I think I've made a pretty decent case here, but let's just talk for a minute about the Word. The Word will strengthen us, particularly where this subject is concerned. In John 1, 1 through 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word uh, was in the beginning with God. So the idea here is the Word is not a what, it's a who. And I don't mean a Dr. Seuss who, I mean... A him who. He's got a pronoun. That's right. I said it. Him. The word is a him. He's Jesus. So you could read him. You could meditate him. You could memorize him. You could share him. You could write him. You could think him. And all those things will help establish you in Him. He will never change. He will never alter. And He will always encourage. He will always liberate. Are you getting the picture? In Psalm 107.20, He sent His Word and healed them. Look at, I, again, I'm not against doctors. And if you need to go, you got to go. But I would suggest if you start, 
you know, and sometimes you can feel something coming on you. If you start feeling bad, and let's just say you're reading two or three chapters a day, well, just read six or eight that day. And do so until you feel better. He sent his word and healed them. Proverbs 3 says that, that this is life to your spirit and health to all your flesh. This is alive. And so, you know, I know it's old, kind of old school to talk about reading the Bible through in a year, but I highly recommend it. What I do now that I'm older is I buy a new Bible every year. And again, I know this is dumb because I'm not asking you to do what I do, but I've got one of my grandfather's Bibles, and he, write, he, you know, he was a Baptist, so they didn't like to desecrate the Holy Scripture, so he didn't write much in it. I wish he would have. So I buy a Bible like, that's, that's uh, got nice margins in it, and I just buy a new one every year, and I read that different translation every year, and I just treat it like it's a journal because someday I hope somebody will read it and say, oh, that's awesome. My grandpa was doing this or doing that or was over at Lake Church, and can you believe it? He preached for the great Greg Hurd? Wow. My grandpa was something big. Because the word is a legacy. The word is legacy. So, whatever you need today may not be healing, but your father's good and gracious to give you whatever you need, to meet you where you are, Never to judge you, but to remind you who you are. So we talked about the connection between sin and sickness. We know that. And again, this is sin, not you sinning. Because if you're doing dumb stuff that's causing you to get sick, you probably already know what it is. There's a connection between salvation and healing. So as much as you think of the freedom and the free gift of your forgiveness in Christ, think also in the same way about your healing. He's not, he's not asking you to jump through a hoop here. He's already done it all. It's just believing. It's just having faith. And lastly, it matters what, what we believe. And it's important to believe that God wants you well. He wants you well. Look at I'm not saying he doesn't, he can't get glory when people die and are going to heaven because he can get glory us doing anything when we're honoring him. And that, there's no problem with that. But he doesn't bring those things. He just co-ops those things. So let me just invite the musicians up now. And I think we're going to have some prayer teams up here, and I'll be up here. But I want you to be encouraged you know, just a couple, well, maybe about a month ago now, we had a lady in the church in Arkansas that was diagnosed with colon cancer. And, of course, she went in and did all the battery of tests, and it came back worse than they, than they thought. And, uh, you know, it wasn't no big deal. We just prayed over her, and she was believing. And I think it matters what we believe. It also matters who the people around you, what they believe. And um, I don't know, she went through, she didn't have to do any chemo. She went through some little treatment they did, and they did a surgery and got all of it, every bit of it. And so I just want you to know God is good, and he's not tripping because you have to go to the doctor or because you do. He's, he's not like that. He's going to meet you. Just be led. Just be sensitive to what he's saying to you. That's all. This is a relationship. He's your daddy. I said this the other night, that the only name for God that nobody knew when Jesus got here was daddy. Everybody already knew Jehovah Jireh. Everybody already knew Jehovah Sidkenu. We already knew Jehovah Rapha. On and on and on. El Shaddai. Everybody knew those. They were afraid to use them in some, in some cases. But Jesus shows up and starts calling God Daddy. And I probably mentioned this in March when I was here, but some of you probably slept in that day. So I'm going to say it again. 
The only time Jesus didn't call God Father, Godfather, the only time he didn't call him Father was on the cross. Remember that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we went about for centuries trying to figure out why God did forsake him. But do you know that he didn't forsake him? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is verse 1 of Psalm 22. In those days, you couldn't say, well, turn to Psalm 22. Because there were no numbers on the songs that they sang. So to reference a psalm, you would sing or say the first verse. And so he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tipping them off that they were watching the fulfillment of Psalm 22, which says he could never forsake his own, that he would never forsake him. That's a good one. God's got a plan for you. Your father has a plan for you. And that plan is good. And it's disease free. So let's sing for a moment or two. And then if you need prayer, just come on up. Just come on up. This is a family. Just come on up. If not, thank you for coming today. And we, we love you. And we'll close officially here in a few minutes. We won't stay long. But if you need prayer for whatever it is you face, then come on up. Gonna let me down. Never gonna let me down. 
Hallelujah. He's so good, church. Listen, there's going to be some prayer teams up here. I know we have one right now. There's some other folks that are going to be up here. If you need to meet this Jesus that we talked about today in all his goodness, then they can pray for you. If you need healing, if you want. You know, the one thing that jumps on a person when they feel sick or get diagnosed is fear. And they'll pray with you to stand against fear. They'll pray with you over your children and your future and your finances. We may be in the midst in a, in a certain way of a valley of dry bones, but let me tell you something. God's on the throne, and he's got an answer for all of us. Amen. So thank you for being here today. We'll go out as the, as the team continues to minister a little bit, but just know that, uh, that we love you, and I appreciate being here with you. This is such a home away from home for us, and uh, we appreciate being here with you today. God bless you. Hallelujah. You enjoy that word this morning. Amen. It's always refreshing when Ken's here. At this time, we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry. We are going to have our ministers up here to pray for you. Um, but real quick, we want to take up an offering so we can sow into Ken. So the ushers are going to be passing around buckets at this time. I'm going to pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the word we've received. We thank you for the refreshment that it is to us, God. We thank you that you're good period. You're good. And so, Father God, we sow into this ministry knowing that it's good ground. Thank you for multiplication in his ministry, increase and influence. We thank you for these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. The buckets are going to come around. Once again, we want to remind you we have ministers if you need prayer. We also want to remind you of Sunday night school tonight at 6 o'clock. Join us at the Area 51 building. Uh, we have so much going on, so stay in the know. Also, he's not going to throw a plug for himself, but Ken Spicer has a YouTube channel where he teaches, and it's a great uh, blessing. You can catch him on YouTube. He teaches on, uh, I think it's grit Critical Grace Theology, right? Is that it? And so, and so you can pull that up, and uh, it's on Revere Network, and you can listen to his teachings. We appreciate you guys. Once the buckets come around, you are dismissed. Make sure to make yourself available to the ministers.